Uh, this is really a special Sunday for all of us, and that's because uh, Jim and Lena are here. You know, even as I look out into the crowd, I realize that uh, there's a bunch of you uh, that maybe don't even know who Jim and Lena are, right? And that's because you probably came to the church and started belonging here uh, after they left. So let me give you a little bit of a preview of uh, just who they are and, and what their lives are about. So uh, Jim and Lena are members of our church uh, uh, we love them. They're, they're a family that we really deeply care about. Uh, about four years ago, I think in September of 2012, uh, they packed up their stuff and moved their family out to Mumbai, India. They joined an organization called BTC, Bombay Teen Challenge. So BTC does the hard work of, of fighting human trafficking in the red light district uh, of Mumbai. And so they've been there for the last several years, putting their, giving their lives to this whole thing. And so this morning, we'll get an opportunity to hear from them. Uh, it's been a couple of years since we've been able to do so, and so we're really excited to be able to get an update from them, to tell, for them to tell us what's been happening and even how we could be praying for them. And so the game plan for today is this. I'm going to be preaching a shorter sermon. That's like, I, I saw a bunch of faces light up for a second. You got, listen, shorter is a relative word, all right? I mean, that could be five minutes shorter, that's all. That, but a shorter sermon, and then I want to give uh, Jim and Lena an opportunity to come up and to be able to share. And so the text that we're looking at this morning is Mark chapter 6, 7 to 13. You can pull out the Bibles that are in seats in front of you. I want to pray, ask the Lord for his help, and then uh, we can consider the text together, okay? Lord, uh, we really are grateful for your word, and we really do say your word gives life to us, and you sanctify us, you change us from the inside out, uh, through your word, and, and we want to be changed. Um, we realize that you know our lives better than we know it, and you know how we ought to live our lives better than we know how to live it. And so we trust in you, and we want to ask you to help us so that we would not just be hearers of the word and, and so deceive ourselves, but that we would do what it says. And so for all of that, for the listening of God's word and even for the obedience to God's word, we need your help, and we're grateful that you have given us grace to do so. We pray for this time. May it be glorifying to you and encouraging to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So just like some of you, uh, I, I did my undergraduate studies at a school called Drexel. Uh, I was a computer guy. I was an IT major. And so for four years of my life, uh, I, I studied computer programming. I studied things called like data structures and software development and a little bit of like project management. And then I became the pastor of a church. So you figure how did that exactly work out, but that's what exactly what's happened. Uh, I don't remember much from my time at Drexel. If you're using Windows 95, I can probably help you out still. But apart from that, there's not much that I can do for you. Now, one of the things that I clearly remember about my time at Drexel is this co-op program, right? Co-op is basically just like internship. And so the idea was this. You would do a couple of years, right, and you would be at the school, and you're sitting under professors and learning from them and, and getting a chance to, you know, understand this textbook. You're watching them, you know, teach stuff and learning from their example. And then about two years in, you'll be sent out for about six months, and you get a chance now to do in the real world what you've been sitting in the classroom understanding and learning. And the reason why I bring that up is because the, the passage that we're looking at this morning it sort of feels like an internship program for these 12 disciples. You see, up until now, if you've been with us, you realize that the disciples, these 12 disciples, have been, you know, listening to Jesus teach. 
and he's been teaching a lot. Uh, They've been watching him do stuff like heal people and cast out demons. And now it seems like they're going to go from being students and spectators to now being sent out into the real world to do these very things. Sort of like an internship, right? They're going to get their feet wet a little bit. They're going to get some on-the-ground experience. Because here's the thing. By the end of this book, by Mark 16, you'll, be, you'll see them being fully sent out into the world. But, until, but, but for now, it seems like they're getting a preview of what that will one day look like. Now remember, right? Being sent out was always a part of the plan. Like if we think back to a few chapters earlier, Mark chapter 3, when Jesus actually called together the disciples for the first time, you remember what he instructed to them. Listen listen with me from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. This is what he says to them. It says, And he went up on the mountain, and he called to them those whom he desires, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they may be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. You see, when Jesus called the twelve disciples, it says that he called them to two things. I wonder if you noticed it, right? The two things that he called them to are this. He called them to come and to be with him, and then he also called them to be sent out, to be with him and to be sent out, right? You see, they weren't just called to follow Jesus around forever, the plan from the beginning, I mean, he, he told them this from the beginning, was that they would not just follow him around, but that he would also be sent out. Now, here's the thing. When we look at this passage, right, this passage is directly speaking to the 12 disciples, who are also known as apostles, capital letter A, apostles. Now, the apostles are very different from us, right, in a bunch of different ways. We can get into it later. But the apostles are very different from us in a bunch of different ways. So everything that we read in here in this passage won't directly apply to us. But one thing remains the same between the apostles and us. And that's this. You see, you, see we too were called not to just follow Jesus. We were called to be sent out. We weren't just called to be disciples of Jesus. We were also called to be missionaries who were sent out. And because that's true, I think there really is a lot that we can be learning from this passage, gleaning from it. And so the game plan is this. I'm going to quickly go through just three things that I think are important for us to learn from this passage. And again, we won't be able to cover everything. But we'll quickly go through three things, and then we'll consider what it means to be sent out. So open with me. We're looking at page 841. This is Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 7 to 13. This is what verse 7 says. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now again, we can't cover everything. Even in this one verse, there's a lot going on there. But the one thing that I want us to notice is this, that Jesus sends out his disciples with authority to do what he did. Jesus sends out his disciples with authority to do what he did. Now, if you've been with us now for these last several months as we've been studying through the the Gospel of Mark, you've noticed that all throughout these stories, there's sort of three things that you see are involved in Jesus' ministry. He does three things sort of over and over again. 
The first thing is that he teaches. Then he heals and he casts out demons, right? This is sort of this reoccurring thing that we have seen in the Gospel of Mark over and over again. But you see, since the beginning, Jesus has been very clear that while three things are constantly happening, not all three things are equal in importance. While three things are constantly happening, not all three things are equal in its importance. You see, Jesus himself said from the beginning that the reason why he came was to what? Do you remember? The reason why Jesus came was to do what? To preach, right? He said it from the beginning in chapter 1. He said, the reason why I came was to preach. He came to preach the gospel, He came to announce that the king of this kingdom that the world has been waiting for is actually already here, and it's him. He came to call people to repent and to turn towards the gospel and believe it. And so if that's true, if Jesus came to preach, the question we should be asking ourselves is, why did he heal? And why did he cast out demons then? If he came to preach, why did he do these other things then? Well, one thing we know for sure, and we saw this last week when Kevin preached to us, is that one of the reasons why he cast out demons or why he healed people was because he had compassion on them, right? This is God. He saw the struggle and the suffering that they were going through, and he had compassion on them, and so he relieved them of the suffering that they were going through for so long, and so it was a demonstration of his love. But the other thing that we also notice is that Jesus did these signs and wonders in order to demonstrate his authority. Jesus did these signs and wonders in order to demonstrate his authority. You see, what he did gave credence to what he said. What he did gave credence to what he said. You see, this is how it works, right? Because a lot of people around Jesus are watching him do a bunch of things. And so when Jesus goes around and he's healing somebody, or when he's casting out demons, people see this and they say, This guy must be legit, right? Sometimes I think we think like miracles were just common things that always happen in the Bible. It didn't. And so when people saw this, they saw what he did and they said, this guy must be legit because no one is doing what he is doing. And because they saw what he did, some people believed what he said. Because they saw what he did, some people believed what he said. And listen, I want to stress that word, some. Because not everyone who experienced a miracle or not everyone who saw one ultimately believed what Jesus said. You see, some people, they saw Jesus do these miracles and they would say, that's right, he is a powerful person. He's doing some amazing things. Or or some people, they would experience a miracle, like they would be healed and they would just be happy to be healed. I mean, they were suffering for so long, so they're grateful that The suffering that they had to endure for so long is no longer there, so they were just happy to be healed. But what you need to understand is not everyone would end up believing as a result of seeing. Not everyone would believe as a result of seeing. And that's exactly why Jesus says that preaching was the most important thing for him. Because this is what we need to understand. You see, those who were healed they would inevitably get sick again. Consider that. Those who were healed, they would end up getting sick again. And even those who were raised from the dead, like we saw last week, 
they would end up dying again. Or even those storms that were raging, Jesus came in and calmed, those storms would rage again. But what you need to understand is this. When someone hears the gospel, and when someone believes what the gospel says, it changes their life completely and eternally. When somebody believes the gospel and hears it and trusts in that gospel, it changes their life completely and eternally. That person will never, ever be the same again. And so what Jesus did was he gave his disciples this same authority. What Jesus did, the disciples did. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, So they went out, and proclaim that people should repent. They teached and uh, preached. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. What Jesus did, the disciples did. And here's the thing. What Jesus did, the disciples did. And what the disciples, the 12 apostles did, we get a chance to do as well. You see, we are actually called to continue the work that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. And, and, you know, we can have an extensive conversation about healing and casting out demons and what that looks like today, but that's a a different sermon for another day. I'm going to save that for Pastor Jay or for Pastor Sibby. I'm going to let them handle that topic, right? But for right now, I think the bigger point is this. As disciples, we get a chance to do what Jesus did. We've been given the authority to preach and to demonstrate this life-transforming, world-changing gospel. Do you hear that? We've been given the authority to preach and to demonstrate this life-transforming, world-changing gospel. Do you realize that? But, but, we don't just want people to be healed Though we do, we want to point them to the healer, right? And we don't want people just to be built wells, though we do. We want to give them the living water. And we don't just want to end slavery, though we do. We want to point people to the one who came to set the captives free. You see, at the end of the day, our hope is not just that people would be impressed with our works, but that they would also trust in our Savior because he can literally change the trajectory of someone's life completely and eternally. And so Jesus sends out his disciples with authority to do what he did. That's the first point. The second point is this, that Jesus sends out his disciples with great urgency and dependency. Look at verses 8 through 10. It says this, he charged them, to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. You know, you read this, and it's sort of confusing. Like, why is Jesus even instructing in this way, right? It sort of just seems like, it seems like just like a checklist that they should be having with them as they pack and prepare to go out. And so he says, you know, be sure to bring four things. He says, bring a staff, sandals, one tunic, and a belt. And then he says, here's, not, here's what not to bring, right? 
Don't bring any bread. Don't bring a bag, no money, not even a second tunic. And then he goes as far as to say, listen, when you go into a town, ask someone there if you could stay at their place, right? And when you get there, don't go hopping around from house to house. Stay at that same place until you're done, until you're done with that place. Stay there. The question is, what's the point of all of that, right? Why does he say this? Well, you see, when you take a look at the four items that he mentions to bring, the staff, the sandals, the tunic, the belt, you realize that it's not so much the items that we're discussing here, but what they represent. Because you see, when you look at these four things, and I wonder even if when the disciples heard these four things, maybe their minds were jogged back to Exodus chapter 12. You see, in Exodus chapter 12, when, when God was instructing the Israelites how they would escape the captivity of the Egyptians, how they would be set free from the slavery that they've been endured for so long, these are the four things that they said that they should take with them, right? They said, you should take with you a staff, a sandal, a tunic, and a belt. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to be delivering you. But my deliverance is going to be a, a greater deliverance than Moses was ever able to bring. Moses delivered his people in a way that was wonderful for them. But wait till you see the deliverance that I'm going to bring you. And you see, if that's true, I think what Jesus is trying to communicate here is this, right? That the mission that I'm sending you on is so important that it requires you to live with great urgency and great dependency. It requires you to live with great urgency and great dependency. You know, sometimes when we think about the 12 disciples, we think that they're really important people that were given a really important task. And the thing is, it's true, right? I mean, they've been given the responsibility of spreading the gospel so that the entire world would be redeemed. That's no small thing. And because that's true, we have sort of certain expectations for them, sort of uh, things that we would imagine that they, they would and they wouldn't do. Like, it would be weird for us if it ended up that They've been given this mission, but they were sort of caught up by their profession, right? Like Peter, who was a fisherman. Like, what if he said, like, you know, I'm cool with this mission thing, but I also want to build a huge fishing industry. We historically in our family have been great fishermen, and we do this work really well. And so I want to give myself to building this great fishing industry. Or what if they never even got around to mission, because they spent so much time worrying about where they will live or where they will work or, or what they will eat or what they will wear, at some point, I imagine somebody would say to them, guys, listen, you've been called to such an important and urgent thing. You can't be wasting your lives on secondary matters. But let me ask you, right? And I feel like the question is so obvious that I'm almost afraid to ask it. Why is the mission that you and I are sent on any different? I mean, imagine with me for a second, right? We're going to get a chance right now to hear from Jim and Lena. They're going to come up. And imagine they came up and Jim said, you know, over these last four years we've been there and, and I actually started working at a bakery, right? I'm working at a bakery to bring some additional income into the family and, and be able to, to meet some people. It's been, it's been great, a great setup. What would we say? We would say, that's awesome. Right? That's really good to hear. I'm glad that you're doing that. Now imagine Jim, actually, in a few seconds when he comes up here, he says, listen, in these last few years I've been working at a bakery, and I've really got into cakes. 
right? They're, I mean, like, not in that eating way, but I've really been interested in cakes. I'm just sort of consumed by this, this industry, and, and I'm researching different type of icing, and, and my plan is to start a cake industry and bring the perfect cake to India. Well, I imagine that after they step off the stage, somebody would pull them aside and say, listen, bro, did you, did you forget uh, the mission? Right? I mean, cakes are great, but what about the mission? Did you forget why you were sent? You see, brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we believe that we're different than Jim and Lena. Like that question would only be valid for those who go overseas or maybe even just for the apostles. But you see, the, the urgency and the importance of mission is still equally true for those who are sent to Philly and to Willow Grove and to Langhorn and wherever it is that you live. You see, the mission that we're on requires us to live with new priorities. It's that important. It's that urgent. So much so that we can't allow ourselves to get caught up with job and home and food and clothing. And it's not because we don't need those things. But instead, it's because we're so convinced by the mission that we're going to depend on Jesus to provide those things. It's reminiscent of what the Lord taught us in a different place. He said, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Remember, we just said the gospel that God has given us the authority to preach can literally transform the trajectory of someone's life completely and eternally. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, give yourself to that. Give yourself to that, and I promise I'll take care of everything else. So point two, Jesus sends out his disciples with great urgency and dependency, and that's true for us as well. And finally, point three, Jesus prepares his disciples for rejection. Look at verse 11. It says, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet, as a testimony against them. Now, there's a bunch that we can be saying about what this act of shaking the dust off of our feet means. But what we know is that scholars tell us that it's sort of like this gesture of judgment against a town, right? What you're essentially saying is this. I spoke the gospel to you, right? I, I, I spoke truth to you. But sadly, uh, you didn't receive it. You, you didn't listen to what... I had to tell you. And so now I I really, I don't even know what else to do but to keep saying the same thing over and over again, but you do not receive it. And so at this point, I'm going to completely wash my hands or dust off my feet of you. From now on, I have told you what you needed to hear, but from now on, it is between you and God. And you see, when you hear that, that sounds really harsh. It sounds condemning. But I think the reason is because it is. There's no other way to put it. It's what the disciples were instructed to do. Now, I don't think that we're being called to reenact this today. When someone rejects the gospel, we're not called to literally dust off our feet. But there is a sense in which we're instructed by what we read. Listen, this is what Jesus is trying to say to you. People will reject you. People will reject the gospel. In fact, People will reject the gospel more than they will accept it when you tell them of this truth. And so Jesus is trying to prepare you for this. 
And though it, it, it grieves us, it absolutely grieves us and breaks our heart to see folks turn away, and though we will plead with them and ask them to reconsider and ask them to repent, the truth is all that we can do is scatter seed and water it, and then we depend on the Lord to make it grow. You see, you can't make repentance happen. If you notice, it's not one of the things that God has given you authority over. It is beyond the realm of your authority. And so at some point, you do everything you can do, and then you move on. With, with broken and grieving hearts, we move on. Because there's an entire world around you that still needs to hear this life-transforming gospel. You know, you hear all this and you wonder, what would make anyone sign up for this? Why would anybody do this? What would make anyone give up comfort and possessions in this way? Or what would make anyone risk rejection or persecution? See, I think the only way for us to make sense of it is when you realize that it was the very thing that was done for you. You see, Jesus gave up the glories and the riches of heaven to come and save you. Though he was rich, he became poor. And though he had done nothing wrong, he willingly faced rejection and persecution, even crucifixion, so that we would be saved. You see, the reason why we say, sign up to be missionaries is because we are sent on mission by the very first missionary himself the one who gave it all up so that we would be saved. And at the end of the day, we have found that Jesus is infinitely more important than everything else. And so we have to tell the world, whether we're talking about Philly or Mumbai, we need everyone to know. Because we haven't just been called to follow Jesus and to be disciples, but we have also been called to be sent out, to be missionaries so that many would know and believe the gospel. So that's our prayer, that we would go out with the authority that God has given us, we would go out with urgency and dependency, and that we would go out expecting to be rejected. Let's pray, and then we'll have Jim and Lena come forward and share. It, it's strange. I wanted to spend the next few minutes talking about this new passion I have about making samosas. Um, <laughs> It started as a hobby, but it's become so much more. <laughs> but after Benu's message, it just seems inappropriate. So uh, it's, it's such a joy for us to, to be here. Um, I can't tell you how good it feels to come back to your home church. Um, and and, it, and it, though it looks so different and that's so beautiful, it's still home to us. Like, I, um, I remember growing up in my, the, my home church back in New York, and I remember my father had, um, had so much in it. He, he was part of the, the team that painted and, and took down the old walls and, and part reconstructed. And I, I so badly want to say to my kids that I did that, but I, I, I remember I was looking over here, and this, for many of you that haven't been here, this used to look ugly, um, but it's, it's beautiful now. But we were, I was given the job of snaking some wires through, through, the, up, through the top here, and I did it wrong, and my brother Winston got so annoyed at me, he told me to get down and throw out the garbage. And so I don't have much to say, but it's still, it's still home. It's beautiful to see all of you. Um, for us, it's, it's even just been such an encouragement 
that all of you, so many of you are part of the work that we do, um, not just supporting us financially, but also being part of the ministry, hands-on. Just recently, John and Joe and Tracy came, and it was just, again, it was beautiful. It was great to see how familiar John was with all of it. I think it was your fourth time there. Um, it was wonderful to see Tracy and Joe just get just so bold in what they were doing. I, I was, we had brought these like little silly cubes called Evangia cubes, um, and, it's, and it's sharing the gospel through different cultures, even if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the language. And Tracy was at each one of them, each lady that come through our clinic. And these, just give you a little context, it's the red light district. In the red light district, we have a health clinic. And we bring a team of doctors and nurses to come. And that, during those three days, we have hundreds of women from the red light district that come through. And we give basic medical care. But more than that, we were sharing the gospel with them. And... And though not able to speak the language, there was a boldness in being able to just share with each woman that was coming through. And, and that, was, that was glorious, I would say. Um, and and, and Bini was talking about casting out demons. We don't see it much here. And though it's not um, so frequent there, it's not unusual. I remember when we first went, we, saw, we were at a church service, and we saw a woman suddenly start slithering like a snake. And, and it was just, uh, I was fearful at the time. But, but then I saw people with the authority of Jesus praying over them and, and casting this out. So when we were at the, at the clinic, um, such a situation happened, I think, when, with one of the ladies that Tracy was with. Unfortunately, it was, a, it was a bad time because I had drank a lot of water and I had to go to the bathroom. And so as I'm going to bathroom, she stops me and says, look. And I looked, and because it's sort of become common, I said, oh, yeah, that's a demon. Uh, someone will pray over it. And I just went on to cast out my own demons. And I saw she had such horror and disbelief at the same time. Yeah. So Jesus certainly gives authority. Not to me, though. Uh, I, I would I'd just like to spend just a few minutes just... Um, sharing some things that God has been teaching me, and then I'll just hand it over to Lena. Um, she told me not to do this, but I will. I'm on stage now. So, uh, so she can uh, share what's, like, some beautiful things that's been happening to this, through the school that we've started. There are two things that um, that just been impressed on my heart over the last year is that how hopeless and pathetic all of this is without Christ. And, and without Christ, there's really no reason to cry or shout or sing or to fight back. Um, <clears throat> when I was coming home one evening, and I got to the, I parked the car, and I got a call from Lena, and she said, can you get some chicken? And so that's not like going to Acme here, right? And you just see everything sanitized. You, you literally go to the chicken stall, and they cut the neck off, and they give it to you. But this particular time, the usual chicken stall that I go to was closed. So I had to go to the other side of the tracks. Um, and there I asked around, because I had heard that there's, there's a section where they, they had cut live chicken and goats. Um, so I asked and I asked, and I found my way from one gully to another. And finally, I knew I was there. I was entering the gully, because along the, the streets, blood was coming through, right? And it was, and, then, and the closer I got in, 
it was darker and the, and the stench was louder, it was more profound. And I finally get to the place and everywhere around me, it's, they're cutting chickens and goats. And it was, um, it was so not like polished. Like I would see um, goats hanging and like they hadn't cut off the tails yet. So the tail with the bushy nice tail is there. In some place, I'm sorry, this is a bit disgusting. But, uh, and then in some places the heads would be cut off, but they hadn't like, the head is still standing there, right? And then the chickens, it's just indiscriminate. Cut, they cut the neck off and then they just throw it. And the chickens like flap, flap, flap till they die off, right? So all of that's disgusting. But what struck me was the silence of the living, right? Like right next to these slaughtered lambs were lambs that were living and they were getting just fed grass and they were just happily eating. And, and then these chickens are, are getting their necks cut off and the other chickens are just, just sitting around. And I, I almost want to say, scream out for your brother. Like, you're, you're, that's you next. Like, do something, right? Or, or don't you have any empathy? And as I was walking home, I thought, I guess, you know, if not for Christ, might as well not scream. Might as well not fight back. Might as well not shout for injustice. Just eat your grass and just get slaughtered, right? And, 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 and that's not just in India. I feel like that's just as well here. As I'm coming back, I see... Um, our older generation getting older, and I see aging, and I see something that's not graceful about it. And I said, is this the end of all? And, and I think if not for Christ, it, none of it makes any sense. Just live and eat and, and be, do whatever that pleasures you and then die, right? But all of that, all of that, all that trajectory, all of that changes simply because of the cross, because of Jesus. And that's not just lip service, that gives hope. And, and that gives hope because you can tell the woman that's, um, that's come out of a traffic situation where, where she's now carrying the HIV virus in her, uh, where she's been cheated and defiled, all those things, it's okay, like it's, it will be okay. Because of Christ, the trajectory of your life is changed. And because of that, it makes sense for us to, to be there and for us to live there and to, and to be in community with the women and children because of Christ and nothing to do with us but because of, of what he has done. And then I think what he so graciously and gloriously does is he, that mission changes you, changes your DNA, changes your... Even, you know, he says, the Lord will grant you the desires of your heart I got to say, with all honesty, I, we love being in Bombay. We love being in Umbernath. Um, even as we've been here one month, it's just been so nice to be with family and friends. But I, I actually, there's an itching to go back. And, and, that's not, and that's nothing to say about us. And I can, that makes me just love Christ all the more. Because I said, Lord, when you send us, you didn't even send us with a grudging spirit. You sent us and you equipped our hearts with like this overflowing joy that is not natural. It's an unnatural joy, but he gives you the joy to be where you are. He gives you the, the heart to love those who are maybe not lovable. He, loves, he gives you the humor to find, 
you know, to be able to laugh when, when all those sort of ridiculous things happen in a context that's so different from you. So I guess the one point is, if not for Christ, all is hopeless. Because of Christ, it all makes sense, and, and he equips you for that. Um, and, and, the, and the other thing I wanted to share before I give to Lena is, is so much the need um, for trusting in the gospel. Last night, I, with, um, we were watching with our family the, the Golden State Warriors play, and it seemed like a hopeless situation up until the end of the fourth quarter, and it seems that Oklahoma had devised a plan, a strategy on how to beat the, the Warriors, and it was working. But in the end of the fourth quarter, when stuff started falling apart, they fell away from their plan and they started doing their own thing, and it was to their demise, right? So in the last two minutes, everything reversed and the Warriors won. They wanted to play another game. I was so excited about it that I had to see all the analysis on why this happened. And the funny thing is you have these like four analysts, two of which don't belong there, <laughs> Shaquille and Charles. Like no, no, no reason. They just like goof around with each other and saying nonsensical things. But there was one guy there that I felt like he preached the gospel. It was Kenny Smith. And he said there are three things that they needed to do and that they, got, they violated. They needed to have focus, they needed to believe, and they needed to trust. And he said, see... Uh, Oklahoma devised a plan, and it works. And with this plan, if they stick to it, they can beat the Warriors. But when things got messy, they all went on their own. They all tried to be their own heroes, and suddenly, unexplainably, things are falling apart. And I thought, isn't that so true for our lives, right? We focus on the cross. We believe that he's died for us, and in that, we trust it all the way through. If we can... If, if we can keep enforcing that into the lives of the women and children in our ministry, that, that's what we love to do because it's so hard. I, the hardest thing I think for us is when we go into the red light district and we see, not often, but sometimes women that have come to our homes, have tasted and, 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 and seen the goodness of what life afterwards is, and somehow they don't trust it all the way through. And then they go back and live in the filth of the red light district. Or the young men and ladies that, that we'll invest our lives into and we, we tell them of a hope and a future. But they don't trust. And sometimes they'll walk away and they'll walk away right into their sin and to their demise. So, I mean, just as much as it's, it's true in Bombay, it's for all of us. It's trusting the gospel for the long run, right? Like, though things may not be right here... Those things may fall apart or not work out, but if you trust that the cross will bring you through, it will work out in the end. So those are, that's what's been on my heart. It's just been, it's been, a, it's our fourth year. In many ways, I feel like it's been difficult, more difficult than the previous years. But with the new opening of our new school, it's just been, a, it's been a joy. It's been almost in some ways a renewing of energy. And, and I'll let Lena share on that. But real quickly, thank you to church. We love you. We love you for remembering us and continuing to pray for us and support us. Um, hello, everyone, and uh, good morning. It's nice to see all of you here, and we get to share what's been happening. Um, so 
this ministry has been going on for about 25 years, and the women and the children that um, come and are kind of now housed in our different houses, uh, they, uh, before last year, they were going to local schools, local Budlapur schools, or so they're like village schools, and, um, you know, uh, they really, uh, that's all we could do for them at that point. Um, because one of the things that's so special about our children is that um, they come with a lot of special needs. And they have issues in trauma. And, um, and so we, uh, we didn't know how to deal with that prior to uh, last year. So leadership team um, and have prayed about it and they were praying and they felt as though you know what the best way to go about this situation is if we start our school ourselves to really attend to their needs to their special needs their issues with memory and trauma and emotional and behavior issues so this school was started because of this need that arose and um we started last year, June of 2015. It was our first year of school. We have 85 children in the school. They, only, they go from um, preschool to standard or grade. Uh, next year will be grade 8. And, um, and basically those who are above that, they still continue to go to the local schools. But our children who are coming, they, can, they come and... June of 2015 was a really momentous part of the ministry. How I could explain it to you is, um, I'm sure many of you have read um, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And um, in there, there are four children. They have been, they've lost their parents during the World War II, and they go through a lot of trouble, and around them so many things are happening, uh, trouble and distress, and then they are asked and they are brought to their uncle's home way off somewhere, right? And they go into this home, and they're exploring, and then they find this wardrobe, and they step in this wardrobe, and it's an unbelievable place, right? And in this place, they are not just ordinary children, uh, who've lost their parents, they are and they become kings and queens. Yeah? They become kings and queens in this place called Narnia. And then they, and then they have to come back. They come back, they're back to their old place, right? But they never forget what happened in the land of Narnia. They don't forget the things that they learned who they are, really, right? And so, a little bit to me, this is what happens at BTC Academy, okay? These are children that should be somewhere else, children that should be lost and thrown away, but they come to us, and in this place, to us, they who are weak, they are our kings and queens, and just like how Binu was sharing and what um, Jim was sharing, every day they get to experience and be told nuggets of truth, truth of the gospel. And they get to experience what it means to be sons and daughters of the living king. And so, 
you know what? Unlike the four that went off into Narnia, we hope that maybe sometimes their situations may not change if they graduate, but they come to know and value their living king. They come to know that they are Jesus's, right? That's what it's all about. And so in this school, we start, um, those who came, we start with song and devotion, and they learn the scriptures turned into song. I mean, all of you have little children. There's this beautiful CD called Seeds of Family Worship, and they basically turn scripture into song. So every week we learn a verse through song, and we go throughout the, the whole year. They've learned so many. And it's like that. I mean, it's, we, we, um, Benu, Pastor Benu mentioned it being little seeds being planted. Because we know that change will not happen overnight, right? Jesus always spoke of change happening in a, way, in a botanical way. Seeds that grow and are watered. And slowly they take root and they slowly begin to understand. And their life back where they were, you know, as, as tragic as it is, today we pray that they will grow to be young men and women that love the word, that understand that they are not those that are thrown off. They are Jesus's. And so I pray that you would continue to pray for us as we continue in this journey of um, establishing, this, establishing the school even more. Um, so this year, please, we need your prayer and your support uh, because we'll be kind of going through the accreditation process and the affiliation of, um, that's needed so that our school um, gets uh, recognized as uh, it's called a we're we're going we're following something called a CBSE syllabus, and so in India there's so many different curriculums and syllabi, and we are choosing to follow one. And this year we are hoping to get accredited as this school, and, and so um, that I'm sure if some of you who are in the education field know know that that's a very lengthy and hard process and hard process to navigate, but um, we pray uh, that God will do this, and he will do this. And so um, one of the things that, I mean, I feel like every week when we're there and we share and we're standing up there for assembly and we share with the children, I, you know, when you stand up there, whoever stands up here, you're preaching to them, but you're preaching to your heart. Because at this point, I think like the last verse that, I, that we taught them was Romans 8, 38 and 39, right? It says, for I am convinced nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you and me from the love of Jesus Christ, right? And so in this place, this is what we pray that we do, that you, me, together, that we would be convinced. And because of that, all of these things are possible, it's all worth it because he did it for us already and it's finished and done. And so what a wonderful gospel we have. And I thank you for the privilege for allowing us and for all of you who have allowed others to come and share and be part of this. Uh, this is God's work and we all get to be part of it. So thank you for that.